Psalm 106 is uniquely designated as a psalm of descent. The history of of uh, Israel had an apex of following the Lord with great faith, but frequently limited success. And part of that we know relates to just being stiff-necked, rebellious people. And I'm not picking on them. They actually point in disposition to what many of us are also challenged with. The song being, and that's kind of what it is, it's a psalm song, and it has a dirge to it, meaning that it's melancholy, and it has with it the remembrances of hard times, corrective procedures from God, is that we might be able to find agreement with, oh yeah, that's why it was penned. Oh, I forgot that they did that. Oh my goodness. Will God get them out of that mess? And so in all of these things that bring our questions to the forefront. We're also to apply it to ourselves. So that's what Psalm 106 does. It puts us right in front of a mirror. It's easy to look at what other people, inconsequence, correction, whatever it may be, going through something and feeling distant from it because it's not our season. But what happens when it becomes our season? And then how long is that season? And I think that one of the things that, you know, the songs have been bearing testimony of, I mean, they they were just, to me, wonderfully rich songs. Mercy, mercy. Don't you love what that says? I find my life in yours, my eyes on your name. Arrest my heart. Isn't that cool? I mean, if I had to be arrested, I'd want to be arrested by God. And I'd want him to arrest my heart. Because if he does that... He's not going to have to put shackles on me and throw me into a cell that's cold and with bars. I just think it's great. Arrest my heart from its reckless path. Release the chains in me. And this is what he does. Jesus came to do precisely that. Awake my soul to the hope you hold. Our nation has to have its soul awakened to the hope that only God has. So even right then, I mean, if that were the sermon, then I would say, let's dismiss and be able to pray on that today and throughout the week. You're wondering, I know, okay, he's got his Bible, his lips are moving. Where's this going? This might be the sermon of dissent. We're not getting out of here on time, are we? In the title even, which was Mind Your P's and Q's, subordinate to think and do, mind your P's and Q's. For us, I know the history of the P's and Q's. I know what my grandma meant when she said it. But maybe for today, the Lord would be saying, mind your prayers and mind your questions. Because there's a lot of people questioning what's going on. There's a lot of people questioning God. 
in believing that he's abandoned them. There's a lot of people that question the relevancy of the Christian faith. Our culture is doing that. Our government is supporting it. It's not new to God, but it is an interesting and distinct difference right now that is happening in these times. I was so enthusiastically rewarded by Pastor Franklin Graham to go out and to bring prayer to Washington, D.C. I don't remember the stats, but multiplied thousands, right? And if you heard the prayers and the way that it was conducted, it was beautifully, humbly, and unapologetically for the Lord, forgive us as a nation for turning our back on you. It wasn't glorying in the star-spangled banner, a great song, nor the stars and stripes, a great flag. It was taking opportunity to glorify God in what is a time of great travesty. How could we be where we are at presently? What in the world went wrong? And that's the answer. We followed in the ways of the world. We took our cues, not as questions to God. Lord, how would you want me to decide in governing in the way that I have position and authority in the decision that I make? How do you want me to govern, to bring you glory? And so it was just a very good and powerful moment. I appreciate Franklin Graham doing that and the support and the unabashed passion that that represented for not all faiths, the Christian faith. We aren't to be praying in ambiguity. It's not all inclusive. Heaven's not a package deal on what it is you think qualifies you. There's only one qualification for heaven, and that's by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as the supreme sacrifice for our sins. There's no other faith, no other religion that's going to do it. We know that. The world doesn't. The world wants to be accommodated and to shape God into its image. And God says, let's reverse and have you be shaped into my image. And I do that by giving you the gift of faith, the free will to express it, and an opportunity to believe without changing your mind concerning it. And so we need that kind of boldness. But it was also, in my opinion, done so respectfully towards the human condition. See, I can cite things about the human condition that need to be cited, and I can speak exhortatively. But it doesn't mean that I have to denigrate and degrade. In other words, I can point to the Lord, I can speak truth, I can pray with passion and let them make the decision of what it is they've heard. I don't need to be agitating them beyond what they already are. And there were some that were agitated. Isn't it interesting when free speech about God comes to Washington, D.C., it's, how could this be? This is wrong. This is evil. When evil comes to Washington, D.C., it's, 
That's the government. <laughs> and the government has, in the position that it holds, to administrate as those representing one nation under God, not apologizing that they do things according to God's will. So how do you come out of Psalm 106 by making the ascent back up to the high place of the Lord? What's the high place of the Lord? Well, find your low place and you'll find his high place. Find out in this prayers that are reinvigorated that you're able to say, I've been inspired to pray again. I was, I had one of those, you guys might battle, I've never had to, but the insomnia kind of thing, and it hit me at three. And, and it's just a curious thing. I just, I just have never had it. So I just chose to believe, okay, so I'm going to get up and I'm just going to see what the Lord would have me do. And so maybe some of you were out doing the same thing that I did. I went out on the, I went out of doors is what I did. I made sure that all the lights were off, not even the flicker from a light in the kitchen refrigerator. And I just went outside and it was glorious. The weather had almost a balmy kind of feel to it and the stars were shining. And I just began to talk to the Lord. Was it really godly? It was, I think that it was actually more pathetic for me, not for him. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I found myself without words. But I knew that what I was doing was speaking volumes. I had to realize that what I was doing was speaking volumes, even though I went out there to speak volumes to the Lord. And I realized, you know what? If this is the best I can do for prayer, I'm going to believe that God will accept that from me as prayer. I stepped out, balmy. I reflected, thought about our nation, thought about the church, thought about heaven, thought about a lot of things. And then I realized, wait, you're thinking too much. You're thinking too much. Where is God right now in the thinking? What about the remembering? Because I knew that Psalm 106 was almost to be completed as a transaction of study. And the Lord just drew me back in. It was, you remember when these lights last week were flickering? This little light of mine. Christy told me that it looks rather strange when I actually see things that are happening, but nobody there can. She goes, had one of those delusional moments, Rich. <laughs> but this morning didn't. Those were twinkle, twinkle little stars. Clearly, those of you that were sitting here last week, most of you would have seen the little blinkies going on. Am I right? <laughs> and for those that didn't and have imagined that I was delusional, I have witnesses. But I wasn't delusional this morning. And though I know how light transfers itself in the illusion to twinkles, it was brilliant and glorious. And I found myself, even according to the title, saying, mind your prayers and your questions. And so to me, the Lord just silenced me. Be still. Know that I'm God.
It was just like, oh, you are God. You are God and you are good. Wasn't that one of our lines today in the music? So good, so merciful. So maybe even this being a preamble of what is your experience right now, we're to be men and women, children of prayer. Our questions aren't to be directed to God as if he's done anything wrong. Our questions are, Lord, how may I do more things right that please you? How may I do my job while I have a job? That's not a pink slip for any of you guys. Might be for me. How do I do a job while I have a job to do? While I live and breathe, how is it that I can be one who literally believes that whether it's insomnia or heartburn, it's the Lord that is directing my path and the choices I get to make can be pleasing to him. And the choices that I don't make that are of my will, that could have been better, I can let them go so that they don't serve as a snare to me in moving forward. The psalm of descent will conclude. The question is, will our footsteps of ascent continue? We must be about that. It's interesting. Signs are going up everywhere. Signs are being taken down. Some are being vandalized. There's a war going on. John had a sign that had an X across it. And I think it hit him kind of in the soft spot. And I said, John, that's just the Lord saying he's voting for you, bud. He's just doing an advance of the mail-in voting. Perspective. Perspective in the directive. How do we want to, in the time that remains, do a good job for God who's presently at work laboring? Because we're going through the Gospel of John. And Jesus would say, my father's been at work and I presently am at work. I'm doing a work. So we know that he is completely employed in the things of earth that brings him pleasure and all the things that we see that are grieving us and that we're groaning through can be changed with prayer that is appropriated to him and ultimately the limiting of questions regarding what he's doing, but to say, Lord, I want the question to come to me, that I might be examined. Oh, how we need an examination, how the minds of those who govern over us need to be examined. Oh, how we need to make a choice as those who belong to a democracy, a republic in which our voice is heard by whom we choose, we need to not only choose wisely, we need to choose divinely. We need to choose without shame regarding what will people think. And in my opinion, it is easy to discern whom we need to be making our choices for. I will say that. And there is a citizenry that has yet to breathe air, and they are important as a citizenry. 
and God hears their voice. And there's more of them that have lost their lives to the foolishness of laws that have been made that allow it than have been lost to any disease known to man. Truly, the stats don't lie in that case. So let's move into Psalm 106. There are only really a few passages that are left in it from where I left off. And you may have heard this voice, but I will credit the author of it. George Santayana. And so he had a Spanish name, but he was actually an American. That was his ancestry. And he was a poet, philosopher. He was a teacher. I think he was a professor at Harvard. And so he made insightful quips, proverbs. He is the one that is credited with this particular one in which has an appropriate link to Psalm 106. And it does sound oh so biblical. This is the quote that's been coined by him. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Have you heard that? That's the quote in its fullness. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. So it's interesting because one of the things you may not know, it sounds so godly, doesn't it? And actually, people that do not know God can say things that are very godly but he was an avowed atheist. But many of the things that he saw and evaluated were very godly. And God can do that because he's created every person. And he can speak oracles. He can pen songs through people. Insights he can give them. They're not all right. But some of them are closer actually to knowing God by the thoughts that God has given to them than they realize don't know where he was at the time that he deceased. But I know where I want to be when I decease. And I know where I'm going when I decease. And I know that I do not want those that follow me without faith to decease before they have an opportunity to cease from being misled and from being outside of the commonwealth of faith that God has given opportunity for everyone. So you can take note of that. It plays into where we are at. We left off on Thursday, and in our leaving off of Thursday, we had moved through a series of understandings. Unbelief, you heard last week, followed by discontentment. You heard that one with my donut story. Jealousy and idolatry, that was part of our Thursday teaching. Drawing back was Thursday as well. Apostasy was Thursday as well. Those are clearly words that are identifying a descent of man to his lowest level. 
not his highest place, but his lowest place, where he can find himself most comfortable rather than disciplined. And in that, we also saw that those kinds of real challenges that the Israelites had, and even Moses himself, it was leading to a provocation. And that's as well what we rested on was provocation. What is it that provokes you to be who you are, where you're at, what you're going through? And chances are, it's not only the circumstance, but it's the people in that circumstance that are provocateurs. And we call that in, I think, the vernacular, that's my hot button. Somebody pressed my button. <laughs> that doesn't do it for me. I don't, I don't ever use that word. I'm always looking for buttons because my shirts, most of them don't have them. And so you've probably seen me at a couple of teachings where, huh, doesn't look like he has a button. Yes, yeah, it's. I don't have hot button issues. I'm just missing buttons. But there is a provocation that is happening right now, culturally and personally. And so the only remedy is spiritual. Spiritual truth. Spiritual disciplines. Spiritual humility and confidence. It's the only way. It's interesting because I believe that the press says, and I, I haven't a follow-up on it, but Portland's still in flames. It's still moving through a time of expressive rage. Why? Why? So one of the things that we've learned in the disposition of people is when there is unbelief, the things that we've already taught through, then it leads to one of the first offenses against God, and that's the rearing of pride and what is known as rebellion against him. And when there's rebellion against God, it leads to the next thing that we have seen, which is lawlessness. If there is no moral agent, in other words, inarguably a moral being, then you have what we have discovered in our culture immorality prevailing. So lawlessness and immorality hinge on the fact that no one believed in God that ought to have believed in God. I'm not saying that all of us, but the ones that are now in a state of lawlessness, con contention, provocateurs of peace, trying to summon the worst out of people and doing the worst to people, it all hinges on moving in a direction of dissent. And it's time to ask God, can you rescue us? Can you raise us up from this pit that we are mired in and set our feet upon the rock of ages of salvation? So one of the terms that pairs up with the other term that was used on Thursday was the drawing back. And so I'm going to reference an area for you that I think is important. And it can be found in Hebrews, and it's not going to be in its entirety, but you might want to anchor there. 
because what we're seeing is our nation drawing back from God and using all the excuses to accommodate its tendency. Therefore, verse 35 in chapter 10, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, and you will do so. This is taking off the scriptures to give a just a freestyle right now. The just shall live by faith, but you will also live among the faithless. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We are not to draw back as believers. We are not to draw back as a nation under God. It is not pleasing to God. And there are changes that need to be made from the top down. And you're seeing little by little that the drawing away from God has been first attacked by the suspension of drawing together with God. Being drawn by God, being formed together for God's glory in the church. We are an experiment waiting to fail. Notice this, it closes, but we are not of those who draw back. The church is not of those who draw back. What's the consequence? To perdition. But of those who believe to the saving of the soul. I mean, that's an anchor verse for our times, isn't it? I think that it is. Just a solid anchor verse for the times that we're in for the psalm of descent. And perdition means destruction. We are not of those who draw back to destruction. So I say, hold out, hold on. And if you're held up, you find a way to get around it. Crawl towards it. But don't excuse it. Do I believe that right now there's a turning point? I do. And I would rather right now cheer God on for turning this nation around than to question him on why things are happening. I'd rather question myself and then determine that I don't have to be a contributor towards this in terms of the destruction and consequence. I can be a testimony in such a time as this that God would give me a voice to say, challenge the people to hear me, to cry out for me. I just wanted to bring you to that anchor verse. I think it's so very, very important not to give up, not to give in. Last week I concluded the sermon with a note 
that came from C.S. Lewis, and it was actually served to be a very special bookmarker for a friend. In fact, he just came up and took it out of the Bible. <laughs> and I thought that was awesome. What a great, what a great contribution to have something in my word that was important to him. But this is important to us to hear as a nation. This is important for us to hear as a church and as people. I'm just going right to it. I'm just going to go right to the importance of this word. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, verse 5 of Revelation chapter 2, it's the Lord speaking to the church. And this is in Ephesus. There were great things spoken to that church. This is a great word spoken to that church as well. But remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. That's all God says in this. Just turn around as a nation from where you're going and do the first works as your forefathers first in what had been stirred in them to have a country that would be granting liberty and freedom to worship God. Repent. Turn back. You have a constitution that was spirit-breathed. You have the Bill of Rights that was spirit-breathed. You have the Word of God that is spirit-breathed. And it was upon this Word that those amazing and, in my opinion, indelible words were written by men of God. And even if they did not have a solid Christian walk, the writings indicate that they had a fear of the God of those who did. And therefore their conduct was as individuals under the fear of transgressing a God that they at least believed could do something if they erred. Those are our anchor points, and they are important because when we look at the provocation of our days, we will have people using words that are errant, and they are malicious, and they are destructive. Do you realize that there is no decorum in hearings any longer? Esprit de corps, a sense of unity, a behavior of conduct in asking questions decently and respectfully and hearing answers. We don't have that. Uh, we don't have it. And you're, I'm kind of asking, why don't we create a law, a regulation in Congress that you will behave yourselves? Why do you have to use language that is X-rated when you're talking about a statesman on the other side of the aisle? How about decency again? Why have we descended into this kind of behavioral mannerisms? It's because they're taking their cue from the world system and from the enemy and from lacking true spirit. And I'm saying that no matter what they may say about their faith, if their language is actually an indicator of the depth of their faith, they've got really shallow faith, and they're getting into heaven singed, if at all. 
Those are signs of our times, of our days. And we're told actually that these kinds of days will abound because there's going to be a time in which there will no longer be enduring for sound doctrine, but according to desires, itching ears, heaping upon themselves teachers that will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. That's in Second Timothy. But moving to complete this in what is a national provocation, and I also believe that a nation can provoke literally a circumstantial divine intercession from God to change things, to put us on the right course, or in which God simply removes and he allows man to take his course. It's really a choice that I believe we have to make today. Praying, oh Lord, questioning ourselves and not questioning God and believing that he can do something even at the 11th hour. Paganism, all you need to understand about that is that our culture has indulged in paganism. When all of a sudden I see an article, and I think that I have this correct, if you eat meat, you're a murderer. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. no. God, God gave us permission to enjoy all that he's provided, and I, I do eat meat, and those little eyes that are looking at me, that's an animal that's suitable for eating. Uh, great picture, but you're wrong. You're worshiping creation and you're avoiding the creator who gave all things good for us to have and enjoy. Why don't they try that with a zucchini? You know? Paganism, it is the worship of every other thing but the main person who created all things. And it abounds. And so that is actually picked up in verse 34. They did not destroy the peoples. This was one of the things that they should have done. In other words, Israel was told, destroy the enemies of God. Do not let them live and do not understand or know their ways. So Psalm 106, verse 34, concerning whom the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the Gentiles. See, the church begins to mingle with the culture and one wins over the other. Who wins? Usually it's the Gentile or the godless people that win over the church. Because the Gentiles actually are the ones, godless, that need to walk through that door. When they walk through this door, they are truly given an opportunity to know love. They are given an opportunity to hear truth. They are given an opportunity to decide what they will do. And that is transitory, meaning there has to be movement. When we come here and we go out there, we go out there with what? The truth. And our goal isn't to immerse ourselves in culture. It's to actually bring them out and bring them up. But this is saying that what we've done, what they did, 
is they cued into what was being said. They bought into what was being done. They learned to say, oh, well, it's lawful for them. It's okay in how they evaluate it. Oh, I can see their understanding about God. That makes sense. So I will understand God in that way. And that's essentially what we've done as opposed to saying, no, 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 you've got the wrong understanding of God. And your motivation concerning what God has decisively told us he desires and what we ought not to desire, you need to stay firm on that. The indictment goes against them because they mingled true spirituality, true worship with pseudo-worship or paganism, other alternative ways of thinking about God, and God hasn't made any alternatives. God hasn't changed the biology of men and women. Never did make a mistake, never has made a mistake, and we have made a mistake trying to reinvent another choice. It's creating problems functional and dysfunctional problems in people's lives and a generation potentially destroyed by believing in a lie. We are who God says we are. We are created in His image. We are male or female. There's no other. And in case you haven't heard, there is a push across the spectrum of culture that we get to put a check mark under additional qualifications of who we are, what we think we are. They learned their works. They served their idols, verse 37, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood and the blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled by their own works and played the harlot by their own deeds. You can look at that. It almost sounds contemporary. It's what I would believe is a description quite accurately of the abortion industry. It's an industry. It's not a ministry. And it's not for reproductive health. It's for the consequence of a living soul. And it doesn't matter what the opinions are of people that say, it's law, it's errant law. And when you see that what has been done, and I believe the stats that were researched, that from March to May of this year, 10.5 million unborn babies have been aborted. 10 million. That's huge. When we're looking at 200,000 that have been seemingly death related to corona, even that statistic has changed significantly. And I'm wondering, why do they post that and they wouldn't post the other? Why won't you tell us how many unborn U.S. citizens are not making it to the booth to vote or to their vocational spot to contribute to the greatness of this country and to the glory of God? Why don't you post that? Why don't you post that? Isn't that interesting? All we see is the consequence of a virus that will come and it will go and there will be another to replace it. But in the meantime, we forget actually the cry of the unborn and maybe God's saying, I hear him. 
I've heard them. And I want you to be advocates for them. And I'm not saying take our picket signs. We don't have to do that. We can be praying and we can even say, Lord, that you might be the adjudicator and that we, where the court has erred, we reverse course on that. We're willing to say we made a mistake. And by the way, there are many in the judiciary high up that are saying, we made a mistake and that's a precedence that needs to go away. And we need to be cheering on those kinds of judges that are able to say, we've done wickedly. 1973 on the book should never have happened in the regard of Roe versus Wade. Never. But it did. And errantly, we've used it to support industry that is contrary to God's will and his ways. We can change it. I believe it is going to be changed. Because you can't hide from what? Science and data, right? You can't look at the image of a child within the womb with the clarity that's offered these days. See, back in my day, they didn't have anything to really justify me living. I was, my mom described me as a plucked chicken. I was, I think, barely two pounds. And I've always joked that the the GE light bulb was perfected to use as an inky better heater for me. I didn't get to go home early. In fact, they, they called in many different ministers to pray for me and to say he's not going to make it. I did make it. There are babies that aren't making it. And so to me, this is like, wow, that is so contemporary, so contemporary. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against his people. Could there be the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people? Yep. But I'll tell you one thing that you need to know that's a part of the grace presentation, and that's this. He kindled his wrath against his son, whom we believe in. As a result of the wrath that he kindled against his son, judgment was passed to him, and we were recipients, beneficiaries of grace. That's pretty awesome. We deserve it, his wrath. We've been suspended from it. Our nation has. Why? God would that none should perish. He's patiently waiting it out. The time in which the last person to be able to confess him as Lord and Savior has been voiced. I don't know who it is. don't know when it will happen. I just know that's the wait out. But in the meantime... He did judge them, and praise God, he hasn't judged us. I believe there has been a stepping back. I believe a protective hand of God certainly can be cited. But he gave them into the hand of the Gentiles, and those who hated them ruled over them, and their enemies also oppressed them. And they were brought into subjection under their hand. Many times he delivered them, but they rebelled in their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. Oh, Lord. May this not be in one month what happens to us. But if there's change, and there could be, if there's a nation truly that we are part of that repents and godliness prevails, every advantage needs to be taken by the church to see that not one day is lost on souls that are lost. Won't that cause a civil war? It might, but I know whose side I'm on. So I'm not going to worry about it. 
and I don't even need to take up guns for it because the battle belongs to the Lord. I'm on His side. Nevertheless, verse 44, it closes actually very compassionately. He regarded their affliction when he heard their cry, and for their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the multitude of his mercies. He also made them to be pitied by all those who carried them away captive. Save us, O Lord, is the conclusion of this dissenting psalm. Dissent can be great in a court of law in which a decision that had been rendered has been argued on points that are meritous towards that dissent. And we have had that happen. There was dissent when abortion was lawfully integrated. And there was dissent when the definition of marriage was altered. There has been appropriate dissent. Change arguments for God, arguments against unrighteousness. But save us, O Lord, God, and gather us from among the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name. That's why we're here. We're here gathered to give thanks to his holy name, to triumph in your praise. That's why we're here Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. That's a light show. You saw it. He's happy. <laughs> There's nothing we can do about it. We'll get it worked out, but I'm always humored by those things which are uniquely happening. And even though that will go out or be dimmed, you will not. Your light will shine, and the church will magnify the Lord. And that's a great thing to close on, and we will. I'm going to have Andrew and the band come up here as I give a benediction. It'll be a great song. It deals with fear, and we shall not fear.